and welcome to Going Off Track. Hello. How are you, Brad? I am. I'm pretty good. Pretty What's on good. your mind? Uh, you know, it's summer's here. It's in full swing. It is. Um, I feel like the weather's been pleasant. Weather's been nice. Um, I have air conditioning. Congratulations. First, first three years I lived here, I didn't have air conditioning. It's like, you're like, so if you have air conditioning, it makes you lower middle class. When you have your own room, and this is if you live in New York, you become middle class. And then if you have your own place, like a, even a studio apartment, that means that you're upper middle class in New York. I guess I'm upper middle class. Woo! But it doesn't feel that way. Wow. And my bank account does not reflect that. Ripping fast towards that one percenter. I, <laughs> I would not say fast. <laughs> Very slowly. Crawling towards it. <laughs> stumbling. One percenters in New York, the first tier of one percenters spend all their money on mortgages and rent. I'm sure. Yeah. I don't think I know any one percenters. I mean, I must know some. What's the definition? You must just be a millionaire or something? Mm. I would think. Or like like a multimillionaire. Maybe. I can't imagine there's more than 1% people, of the population. People are, save like a million dollars now f- to retire. Yeah, I guess that's true. I guess being a millionaire isn't that isn't that odd if you've been like working for like 40 yeah, years or something. I think something. that a million dollars is kind of like the target for for a middle class family to retire on. Wow. That sounds like so much money. Be nice to have some, huh? It would be nice. Um, but Someday, Jonah. Yeah. <laughs> Keep doing a free podcast. <laughs> Someday. <laughs> Stay in that music business, man. Yeah, it's yeah. going to pay off. Stay in a failing someday. industry and do stuff for free. And then, uh, <laughs> no, we love doing this podcast. And today is a really great episode um, because we had on Max Bemis from yeah, Say Anything. Who's figured out how to make money in the music He has. Business. He's, uh, yeah, he's really kind of, we talk about this a lot, but yeah, he sort of has, has adapted and shifted the way he operates to kind of make it work. So he has this thing where he may, sells kind of, specific songs writes them for fans which is really cool he also has a new album that just came out called hebrews um and we get kind of into depth about his uh his experience with judaism and sort of uh where the inspiration for the record came from and then we talk about just a, a lot of really interesting stuff i feel like um he's a super articulate dude and uh yeah was, he's a smart guy it's very interesting this is a different podcast i think kind yeah of for us right yeah i think it was it was fun though yeah we talk about theology a lot but he's and sort of just the idea of how to keep a band going for sort of 10 years and i also you know the fact that he kind of is say anything so it's like it exists whether he's doing it or not like he can't really it's it's who he is like so that that to me is cool that it's like making yourself super vulnerable by being like this is all me he produced his new record like he's involved in kind of every aspect of of everything yeah so yeah, it was um really cool. But so check out Hebrews, um, check out his other stuff, and listen to him talk about a lot of interesting stuff on this episode of Going Off Track. It's going off track. I just like totally back. I got Stephen a job to like, I got him like a hosting gig, and then he's like, and I can't come in and do the podcast, yeah, really and I'm like, ungrateful. I sabotage myself. <laughs> So it's all on you, buddy. It's all on me. And you. you know, I don't, I just sit here and make uh, off-color comments. That's true. Nice. <laughs> all right. Welcome to Going Off Track. Today we are joined by Max Bemis from Say Anything. How's yeah. it going? Going great. Yeah? Yeah, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, how long have you been in New York? Um, uh, just for the day now, we were here a couple of days ago um, playing a show, um, but we just came in to do a few press thingies today, so nice. like an hour. Yeah. Wow! You can yeah. s- you just came in to do this podcast? Just this, <laughs> yeah. You can say that. Yeah, I know. I'm trying to make myself seem you know not too available and just like playing. You know, we try not to come play on up. too strong. Yeah, yeah. We try not to play up how huge the podcast is. It's <laughs> massive. Know. I'm stoked though to to be on it. Though. Really? Yeah, yeah, of course. I'm glad you came by. I've I heard it's all like they were telling me it's amazing. It is amazing. Yeah, it's gonna it's blow your mind. It's gonna blow your mind. I'm uh, already. I feel like a different guy than I was when we started. <laughs> I was gonna say. I think you've come a long way since we started yeah, the podcast. I, oh, that too, probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we usually don't do any research, but okay. I was I was listening to, yeah. to Hebrews and I was mm-hmm. 
kind of researching it just because so we don't really know each other. Yeah, no, no, um, no. Which is kind of weird, I feel like. I know. Yeah, Having where are you from, by the way? Cleveland. So I used okay. to work at AP like a long oh, time okay. ago. Like, yes, yes, yes. Okay, that's like that's how I knew your name people. originally. Yeah. Okay. But um, it, to me, it was it was super into the concept. Seems super interesting. Like sort oh, of cool. also being Jewish and sort of yeah. just initially seeing the cover of you, <laughs> <laughs> the Hasidic with the guns and stuff. Yeah. I mean, what was? I know you're you're sort of known sort of for writing really personal kind of autobiographical mm-hmm. stuff i mean mm-hmm. it seems like this is also i mean where did the kind of concept and the religion kind of figure in yeah um it, it really only um well it's kind of popped up a lot in the past with the band um usually kind of like you said because the songs are so autobiographical and that's such a integral part of who i am mostly culturally not necessarily like spiritually or religiously speaking but um, being Jewish, I went to Jewish school when I was a kid. I went to Jewish summer camp. And so a lot of my like formative uh, experiences, psycho- psychologically speaking, like had to do with being Jewish. Um, and so this record in particular, um, I was kind of making it my business to, to really delve deep into my own past and into the past of my parents and the people who came before them and try to identify like social triggers for why I am the way I am. Um, and so as I did that, a lot of things came out that were um, pertained to, to Judaism or being Jewish. Um, uh, you know, it's the same way that like, you know, Woody Allen is a stand-up comic. It always comes out or, or Larry David, like it all hit for some reason. There's like this fixation on our Judaism, whether you're religious or not. Um, so, you know, as the record formed and, and I started writing these songs, like it seemed like there was this overall concept, um, about, you know, being able to see the good and bad parts of, um, like social engineering and the way that, that religions work and the way races work and the way we all interact with each other and how that comes to bear on someone's life and, and how they think about themselves. Were you raised like... Reform or reformed, yeah, yeah. very open minded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's weird because I. When's the last time you went to temple? Would you say? Oh, a while. Me yeah. too. Oh yeah, I it's made been a while. sort of a deal with my parents where, like, if I got confirmed oh. at sixteen, I didn't have to go back. Oh, that's a great deal. <laughs> you scored. So I got the party yeah. and everything. And I don't know <laughs> if I've been back, but I feel like for me, it's like I think it's cool culturally, like to be connected to something yeah. and that tradition. But I also feel like it seems like kind of a, sh- like, I felt like you have to buy tickets yeah, and it's like, seems course. like such a social, like weird, like I was seen there and that mm-hmm. really kind of turned me off mm-hmm. personally. Yeah. I, I think, you know, I personally went through a long period of time where I was very disillusioned with like organized religion because of my uh, Jewish upbringing. Um, not to, you know, like you know, spit upon my upbringing. It was awesome. You know, like my parents are awesome and, and like, it was a pretty cool, I guess, you know, environment to be raised in. But like, as someone who's like a questioning spirit, like as always, I was always sort of like punk rock before I even knew what punk rock was. And I always was like, ah, I don't know if I buy this, you know, like, you know, all this, the studying and studying the Bible. And like you said, all the social aspects of it really turned me off. So I got really disillusioned with it. And then, I kind of got back into like spirituality in general um, in my early 20s. And I was able to look back at a lot of the stuff that I learned growing up and I was able to embrace it, not only for those spiritual fundamental concepts, but also like culturally. Like, I think it's a really cool culture to come from. And there's so many awesome Jews in this world. And it's like, yeah, I'm glad I'm Jewish, you know? Um, but, but for sure, like uh, there's a, there's a lot of stuff that turns me off and I do sing about it on the record quite a bit. And the main thing that I sing about on the record is, is the, uh, is the idea of a self-loathing Jew, which is, which is awesome because it's like my entire sense of humor is based around being one, but it's also like kind of a dark, perverse thing when you really examine it and you think about that, it's like we were, um, trodden upon so often so many people have tried to like decimate the the religion and the people and the culture that we have grown to actually believe what they think of us and we don't like ourselves 
Um, and I am like that too. So I was just, I wanted to examine that on the record. So there's, there's some of that. Do you think there's something to like, there's another sort of stereotype that there's like a neurosis kind of that comes Mm -hmm. along with it. And Mm -hmm. I, I feel that way, but I don't know if that has to do with like the way I grew up or just the way I'm wired or like if there is something inherent in that. Yeah, I think, I think there is something inherent and I do think, um, there's different levels of it, you know, but I do think that there is this baseline neurotic thing that it's part of the culture because like if you look at like um if you look at like Irish Catholics like generally yes they also have their own neuroses and stuff a lot from from the people I know who are who are, my dad is for instance like grew up that like that um but it's like the the stereotype that is also kind of true is that like there's a lot more bottled up under the surface and it's like stay strong in the face of whatever and then Jews it's like we kvetch you know we talk we you know it's like it's the stereotype but it's also true because it's like how we're raised to act towards each other um, and I think that's cool and I like that and like you know I I I very much appreciate that part of myself but it is at times like I'm just like geez, I'm just like this racist caricature of a Jew. Like, I am that, you know? What kind of got you kind of back interested sort of in maybe specifically Judaism? Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's funny. Like, I actually started to take an interest in Christianity, which was this, like, bad word to me for most of my life. Um, not Earlier in my life, it was because in school, in Jewish school, like, they kind of set set up the Christians to be like the bad guys, you know, not not on purpose, but like it's like the Christians are always trying to convert us. The Christians are the ones who like you know burned us at the stake and the bad. That's the Christians are horrible. So I had this like idea of like Christianity as being this like you know kind of evil cult when I was a kid, and then as I went more into my punk rock like borderline atheist phase, you know, Christianity was obviously, you know, has done so much wrong in terms of, like, you know, genocide and, like, like all these terrible things that perpetrating throughout the... Because it's, like, the most powerful religion, so it's, you know... So I was walking around with all this stuff, and then I start, had a few friends who are Christians, and I started to listen to what they were talking about and see the virtuous parts of that religion and it really affected me and I sort of went into understanding like what Jesus' teachings were and all that. And then from there, I kind of went back to Judaism and I was like, okay, well actually if I get Christianity, I guess I get Judaism more. And then once I got that, I kind of started delving into like Eastern philosophy. Um and then from there, like more esoteric, weird, like magic stuff. There's this, you know, thing called chaos magic, which is like this like weird understanding of like um of of you know just like it, it's almost like quantum physics um, and it's part of judaism no 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 it's just like this it's this whole other weird esoteric um belief system that's like practiced um like it's people who you know it's like implementing math into belief and and back and forth and it's kind of a mystical thing so um, so I basically ended up with this hodgepodge of belief systems that I sort of pick and choose for myself. And that's where I'm kind of at now, um, religiously speaking. Yeah. It's a good place to be. Yeah. That's yeah. What, it's what you're supposed to do, I think. I, yeah, I would, I would wish <laughs> well, that more people would, but yeah. I wish more people would admit that they're picking and choosing even when they're sticking to one Yeah. Religion. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that too. Yeah. Um, yeah. So where do the guns come in? <laughs> the guns on the cover, um, you know, we were talking about the whole neurotic thing and like part of that, it just comes from this like um, need to feel like you have to apologize or defend yourself from like your own slings and arrows and the slings and arrows of like the, the people who are going to come get you. Um, so I feel like, you know, part of my personal neuroses is to have this feeling it's an anxiety complex like the world is going to come crashing down on me at any given time. So I've got to be worrying about it all the time. So I'm in this defensive stance oftentimes in my mind, even when I shouldn't be. <clears throat> so the guns, I guess to me on the cover, like <clears throat> represent just kind of like, 
you know, I feel like the world's against me at times. I feel like I am like this lone gunman soldier fighting for the cause, you know? Um, so it's, it's definitely not, and I guess there's something cool and good to that, you know, standing up for yourself and everything, but it's also a dark thing because like no one should have to feel that, you know, like people are out to get them, but I do sometimes. So. Well, it's interesting listening to the record. Like I remember one of the songs we talking about, like people criticizing you for getting married or something. <laughs> yeah, I was like, it's yeah. almost like, was that based on something real? Or, Cause I was almost like, oh, yeah. it seems like maybe you're even putting out like defending stuff before it even happens. It, it, oh, it's both. It is real. But then a lot of other things said on the, on the, uh, in that song and throughout the record are, uh, are definitely projections of what I fear I might be criticized for. There's a whole song about um, my fear of what I might end up becoming, and no one's really gone so deep as to, like, fully map out this image of this, like, wasted hack, you know, five years down the line. But in that song in particular, um, excuse me, um, no, a lot of those are real, uh, big time. Um, you know, there was a big, you know, it's surprising that there are still so many people that like us and come to our shows because there was such a prevalent, uh, feeling amongst some of the first few fans that once I got married and mellowed out and stopped doing drugs and got, got a hold of my life that, um, that I had somehow sold out. And, um, that really pisses me off, you know, that, that, you know, I think it's really unfair and, and yet I understand it, you know, they, everyone has the right to feel a certain way. And if you're attached to a certain aspect of a, of an artist or a musician or a band and it suddenly like goes away, you know, that can be jarring. So I get it, but it still really pisses me off. So I like finally wrote a song about it after years of being like just don't address it like it's it's petty for you to even think about it you know don't go on the message boards which i which i don't but it's still in the back of my mind like you know just uh waiting like a caged tiger to erupt um <laughs> yeah it really pisses me off i mean it's 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 a bad thing you know it's like so, um, so yeah, no, a lot of the reaction, it's funny, like the, even the nature of how the record sounds and like the aggression, like in a way, I don't know if I would have written this record if I wasn't pushed to write it. Um, but it did come completely naturally. So it's kind of that weird chicken or the egg syndrome where it's like, if people hadn't been like, you lost your touch, you can't delve deeply into yourself anymore. And I was like, well, I think I can. And I tried <laughs> And it felt great, and then I made a whole record like that, you know? Um, so, um, yeah. I think there's something about that kind of a defense mechanism, too, though, of, like, I'm going to put this out there before you can say it. Like, it will hurt mm -hmm. less if I'm yeah. saying it first, because I feel like I do that kind of stuff all the time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I live that way. It's, uh, yeah, I'm constantly anticipating some kind of disaster or failure, for sure. I mean, I feel like... It's also interesting because I feel like the stuff you're referencing, I remember when I worked at AP, like all the stuff with bipolarism and all that stuff. I mean, that was, seems like it was a really long time ago. It was. And, you know, that's what's really um, funny about that is that, like, you can be, it, it, your level of success literally doesn't matter because there will always be someone, um, a detractor poking at something that's so irrelevant or so in the past they'll still find a way to dredge it up. You know, like, Is A Real Boy, our first record, was is 10 years old now. And that's the only record I wrote when I was manic. And um, some stuff on the second record, but really mostly that that's the one. And that's the one that pe the, the few uh, little jerk-offs still, <laughs> still are, 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 you know, clutching onto and, uh, you know, saying that, that you know, the, the mania was what made me a good writer and stuff like that, you know? And so it's like, but like you said, it was so long ago. Um, and we've been a bit, we've put out three or four records since then and all to varying degrees of success and some been awesome and people love it or hate it, but for different reasons than that. You know, um, but the fact that it still comes up once in a while is like really annoying to me and the, and enough so that I felt the need to kind of like 
base part of this record around it because it was like I never addressed it. I just lived in this reality of of post that, you know, um, for so long without addressing it and just trying to take the high road. Um, but it's still said, you know, it's funny, like, uh, you know, like, I don't know, like people still reference that manic stuff. People still be like, it's, it's always like a sentence that's in there and like a bio or like a feature on like a website. And it's cool because it's part of our story, but it's definitely like a part of our history, you know, like, so I feel like it was worth addressing being that people still address it, you know? Well, it's also like an archetype that seems really glamorized in like, whether it's like writing or music mm -hmm. where it's like, you need to be tortured or have something off in order to create something mm -hmm. great. And I, it seems like it's not really true. Like, I feel like more people just end up dying or something. And then like, <laughs> yeah, it's like the 27 is the 27 club or yeah. whatever, you know, it's like those people were, you know, messed up. Um, and I think there's a very, clear and present line between the type of torture that it takes to be interesting and write songs that question authority or, or, or make you look differently at the world versus like someone who's going to implode if they don't stop living the life that they are. And I think that distinction isn't often, um, you know, made in a, in the proper way. And, and, and it's, it, the cliche, you know, like people, there's this cliche of like the tortured artist, but which is half true and then half exaggerated. And even artists themselves will feed into it because it's easy to live that way. Like to become this, you know, archetype, this stereotypical torture, drug addled, you know, guy who sleeps around and that's what a rock star is. But in reality, it really just comes from a place of like people who write stuff. And, and poets and artists, like, yeah, they're a little messed up inside and they're sad and sometimes they have things they need to work through and that's cool. But but they get confused, I think, a lot. And uh, for me, you know, I haven't been tortured in that way for, you know, eight years now and uh, I live a pretty happy life. But I, I mean, if you listen to Hebrews, it's still pretty tortured of a record, but it's tortured not because I'm trying to impede my growth by like doing harmful things to myself it's tortured because like i just have that kind of a mind and that's okay to me at least definitely and on the opposite end of the spectrum mm -hmm. a few months ago we had uh chris conley on oh right who i know right. you guys did a record together yes. and yeah. that dude to me is like so inspiring in the other way where it's like oh, you God, talk to yeah. him and you're just like oh my <laughs> god <laughs> like, yeah why am I even worrying about anything? Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Like, I'm like a dot in, like, a huge picture. <laughs> Everything's okay. Yeah. I mean, would you, is that, like, what was it like sort of working with him on that stuff? And is yeah, that like it, it, we, um, we often talk about the yin and yang thing with me and him. Um, and I think that's what made our side project, Two Tongues, work, is that, like, we're actually both probably around the same level of baseline joy and happiness in life. And but our neuroses and our like problems and our joys are like flipped, and then we meet in the middle and we're like great friends and get along because of that. And I'm able to encourage him in certain ways, and he's able to encourage me in certain ways because he has so much confidence in stuff like you said, like this existential, just like take it as it comes. Don't, don't it's all good. Like he doesn't really sweat the small stuff, and I sweat only the small stuff, you know, like all day I'm worrying about this, that, or the other stupid thing that if it were Chris, you'd just be like, Oh, whatever, man. You know? And like, but he also has issues, you know, like, um, if you listen to save today, it's pretty obvious, you know? Um, uh, and I think we balance each other out in that way. We talked a lot, me and Chris about meditation. I mean, mm -hmm. is that something you've explored as well? A little bit. I was actually doing it the other day. Um, I uh, mostly the thing that I do sometimes is is try to just silence the voices in my head. That sounds worse than it is, but just <laughs> the like thoughts, my, the thoughts. Yeah. yeah, my own. Like I'll just I just think so much, and I'm just worried a lot. And it's like I think it was like ten years ago, someone said something to me about like the ability to just like turn off the the inner monologue. And that we have that ability. And I was like, really? I've never really tried that. And I, I did it. And I was like, 
oh, silence. It it works, you know? So sometimes I just, like, when I'm in a upset mood or something, I just, like, spend some time just, like, sitting and not thinking. But I would love to get more into, like, actual meditation. I, I tried to meditate the other night, like, impromptu, just sitting on my bed in the back lounge of the bus, just happy, just, like, zoning out on that. And it was really nice. <laughs> I really wish I did it more. Yeah, yeah, I think it's, like, those... And that's what they always say when I do guided ones are like, let go of the stories. And you have all these stories and like all this stuff constantly and it's so hard. But I think the more you do it, you kind of create like pathways and then it gets sort of easier. Yeah, just like putting it in perspective. Totally. Mm -hmm. Love that. But what I think is interesting about you is you seem, and Chris too, I guess, but incredibly self-aware. Like I feel like most people don't, they think about this is what I have to do today. Then this is what I'm going to eat for lunch. Right. Then I'm going to go out with this and then go to bed and then start Mm. over. I mean, it seems like. Have you always been so kind of introspective? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Um, man. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it's in my nature or something to do with my parents. My dad is really introspective as well. My mom is too. She's like very carefree, but at the same time in touch with her. I think the reason she's so centered is because she's always just like taking care of things and taking care of her own inner mind and her inner state to be happy and at peace. My dad's more of like a worry wart. Um, so I think I'm somewhere in the middle. Maybe it has to do with that. Um, and then just the mystery, the mysterious genetic thing of me just being that way. Uh, but no, like I just remember always being really aware, even as a really small child. And as I like, you know, grew old enough to like understand concepts and like psychology and things like that very early on. Like, you know, I remember in like fifth or sixth grade when like someone would be doing something that bothered me or like I felt was wrong. Like I remember trying to like figure out why they were doing it, you know? And I think it also helped create a lot of those questions that I mentioned earlier about like society and religion and these things that a lot of people around me were just like, yeah, well, sure, I'll just do it. Why not? You know, and it, um, and then it just got more and more intense as I got older to the point where it actually caused me problems, you know, and now I've had to just um, find a way to make that self-reflection, like have a really good relationship with myself because there is so much self-reflection that like I have to like have like a compassionate inner monologue rather than like this like really scary one. Um, so 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 it's there, but but like I've I've gone through so much therapy and healing and self-reflection, like you said, and just to try to to control it so that it's a it's a you know it's there. So I have to make it work for me, you know. Well, it's an interesting dynamic with your job, too, because you don't have to explain yourself just to your friends and family, but also mm-hmm. to, like, strangers who you don't even know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, what's that like? I mean, is that... I mean, it must be sort of normal at this point since you've also been doing it for 10 years. Yeah, and I think I was always... Like you said, you know, just, like, if I'm... I'm sort of already am introspective, and then part of me... And I think Chris is also pretty good at this, um, but I'm even more, like, just, like reflexively like that just will say what i think and feel not i'm i'm very afraid of offending people and hurting feelings so it's not like i'm one of those people who's just like honest to the point of being offensive all the time but um if someone asks me a question about myself um i find it fun and invigorating to answer really truthfully and like even if it's a little uncomfortable because i don't know i think it can be like a bonding thing between people, even if you don't know them really well, you know, like if someone comes up to me and was like, how's your day? And I'm like, well, actually, you know, I, I feel a little depressed, you know, it's like, or something like, you know, it's just like, I, uh, I don't know. So, so it's, it, it's never felt foreign to me. And so it's the same thing that makes me write music and lyrics the way I, I write them. Um, makes me a pretty much an open book as a person it's that it's like i don't just do it in the music i've always just been that way and it's like my sense of humor is completely based around it and like most of the really close friends i have in my life i've had for a really long time and it's just because we're so like frank with each other in a compassionate way but just like 
very dig deep open about it yeah definitely i mean are you sort of constantly writing i remember seeing maybe a couple of years ago you were doing songs for fans yeah. and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. i mean you're always kind of writing for yourself or that I, d- I don't write for myself very often actually i um i really only write like say anything songs when i know we're gonna make a record i like to like give myself a big old pause take in a bunch of influences and experiences and then see what comes out maybe six months later or something like that or um something sometimes something will pop into my head and i just want to sit at a guitar and play but i like me and my wife joke about it she's also a musician it's like neither of us is like the we feel bad because it's like you have this image of a musician just like sitting on the porch strumming chords for fun you know like and neither of us do that at all we just like almost don't want to um but but when it comes to uh yeah i've been doing i'm still doing that things called song shop which is uh, you know um kids can buy a song written about them by me um and that's a you know a lot of songwriting on a pretty much daily basis um uh and over the past few years you know it's been a bunch of different projects um i did this record with my wife called perma and we put that record out and immediately went into writing this record and so there has been a lot of songwriting lately and I've been writing a new record for me and Chris, the Two Tongues Project. Um, so sometimes it gets intense, but, and, and, but I, w- I would bet that there are musicians out there who write more for fun and just for like their own... Like Chris. Chris Conley writes a lot just for fun, and I, I don't. What's the song shop thing like for you? Because it seems like the Say Anything stuff is so much you. What's mm-hmm. it like to write maybe from someone else's perspective? Yeah, it, it it has to come back to me always, which is funny. Like, uh, even if it's just the emotion that I put into the singing, um, or if it's a, uh, you know, a situation that has nothing to do with me or even has nothing to do with anything particularly deep, you know, like I've written songs about pets and like you know, trips, you know, summer trips, chronicling every event that happened on, like, a memorable summer vacation. And I still have to, like, somehow bring it back to my own experience when I'm singing. Otherwise, it would just be terrible and hot, you know, like, not worth the money to kids. Um, But then there are a lot of those songs where they really relate to my life, you know, whether it's, like, a love song or someone going through a hard time with mental illness, and I can, like... It's like it's almost as if I am writing about myself. Um, oh, that's really interesting. Has anyone ever hired you to write a song, Brad? No, I mean I've written a few for yeah. people. I find that like <clears throat> it's easier when you don't have to write um, about like emotional stuff. Like if somebody said, "Write a song about a bar," you know what I mean? <laughs> like. Somebody actually did that one time, and I sat. I was. They used to sit and write with a couple of guys, just as like to work that muscle. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and like, I wrote this great song. And, and I, songwriting was really, other than that, was very difficult for me. I used to always you'd get that flat. I called it the uh, two verse curse. Right, you'd get this <laughs> flash of inspiration, and you'd write these two great verses and hopefully a great chorus, and then. And, the, I, and then I would shelve the song and could never, ever finish it. I yeah, could never write the, the last <laughs> verse. I could never just polish it. And it because that, I expelled my uh, brief burst of like, you know, whatever it was. <laughs> well, the cool thing about th- that thing is that since I just record it live and it, it, the songs aren't that long, really, you know, and I don't have to polish them much. So I'll, I will do the two verse. You can get thing. away with the two. Verse. Yeah, and then like you, you can know, do like the blues. You can just repeat the first verse. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> or just like the bridge is something that's you know just kind of makes sense musically and then just pops up. Right. Oftentimes I do the songs live, so sometimes parts of them are improvised. So it's right. like if you were just sitting there, you know, playing a song where you kind of know where the first couple of verses are going to go and. You know, the core, you're not so sure about the rest of the song. I'll just be like, well, it feels like it should go to this chord. And then I do that and kind of think about what the person was, you know, it, 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 it definitely when I'm doing say anything or something that's more formal, so to speak, like I put, there's a lot of thought and there's a lot of like. And because you're writing for four people, right? I mean, 
Uh, you know? Well, yeah, and that, in, the, in Say Anything's case, yeah, you're, it's like the legacy of the everything I've put out, and it like yeah. has to make sense in the yeah. history of everything. But for, with this, <laughs> yeah, there's there's some amount of pressure, even if it's fun and encouraging pressure. Um, but with these, it's just like I just want this one person to flip out when they hear it. it you know, sounds so. like a great exercise. It it is. It's <laughs> yeah, it is an exercise. I'll tell you that much. Do you yeah. get a lot of submissions yes yeah <laughs> a lot i think i've written somewhere between a thousand and two thousand wow yeah how long have you been doing it uh since 2008 or nine Jeez, that's cool it's a lot of songs yes <laughs> <laughs> no it's but it's amazing like i look forward to it like i have to i'm gonna sit down and do it in a hotel room in a couple of days and i'm like actually really excited like the only thing that's scary is just like it's hard to schedule it's hard to find time to do them people pay and then they have to wait several months to get their song and i am constantly paranoid that someone's gonna like sue me because it's taking so long <laughs> um literally yeah like and i've had people you know like two or three people and out of those thousands of people like get gnarly on me and be like you know i paid for this and he's just like where's this song you know i want my money back or i'm gonna i'm gonna go to the better business bureau <laughs> and i'm like oh my god no please don't and i'm just like writing the back like just do i'll do anything i'll write you three more just like please and it's so it's like i do have like an anxiety complex attached to that thing too but generally people are so cool um about it they're like yeah well, as long as it takes i get it because that's how i would be um like there's a few people i could think of that i would pay a lot of money to have them write me a song and i would if they're like it takes a year or sorry i'd be like sure take two years you know like that's all you know where does that sort of drive come from, though? Because I feel like you would think, like, you get home from tour, you're like, oh, the last thing I want to do is pick up my guitar. Mm -hmm. I mean... It, it started out, um, to be frank, like, it started out with with the idea that the music industry was falling apart. And, um, you know, I wanted to find a way to sell music that was worth buying because everything could be gotten for free. You know, so I was just like thinking, I was just like, what can't you duplicate, you know, in my mind? And, right. and I was like, well, if it was a song written about the person and it was specific to their lives, you couldn't pirate, you could pirate the song, but it wouldn't mean as much to anyone else but that person. And so I, I was like, oh, what if I put a song on eBay? One song on eBay, I'll write it about you and see what happens. And I didn't do that because my manager was like, don't do that. Um, <laughs> um, but I, uh, he was like, let's set it up through the merch company. And I was like, okay, well, if we're going to do that, I'll try 10. And we did the first 10 and I found I could do it very quickly. And then from there, I was like, well, let's do another 40. And then now it's gotten up to the point where when we open it up, it's several hundred. Um, and then it takes you know six to nine months and then we open it again and another few hundred and you get repeats yeah, yeah a lot of repeats and then and we also do the like we tried to add features like there's um like you can buy an ep or a whole album Holy um, shit. people have done that <laughs> and and you can buy a song with my wife um who's in this band isley but and we do stuff together she can sing on it and do backup vocals. And there's also like a half song, which is much cheaper. It's like a minute and a half. Jingle? <laughs> kind of like a jingle. Yeah, it's like a minute and a half, just like a verse and a chorus and a little outro kind of uh, usually. Um, but it's been, I mean, it's, <clears throat> it's definitely made a big difference in my life on many levels. Emotionally, it's connected me to so many of my fans in this amazing way um, that I can't even... It's so humanizing, you know, to be able to... It's like when you're at a show and you uh, you just want to shake hands with everyone in the audience, but you can't. Right. But here you're, like, you're really getting to know them and, and, and do something good for them because they support you. So it's, like, it's been pretty cool. It's really smart because I... And it also, like, I feel like I've been bumping up against this problem where, like, I try to, like adapt situations so they're the way I want them and then I realize like no I'm the one that needs to adapt that seems like what you're doing and that's something that's really hard to sort of learn I guess right oh, thanks yeah I mean I I think I uh I, I don't know I think we got into the industry 
around the time that it was all starting, you know, MP3s and blah, blah, blah. And I kind of knew, even when I was in high school um, and like Napster appeared and, you know, there was all this stuff and I was just like, okay, it seems to me like the only bands that are doing well are just the bands that can like go on tour and draw kids and that like the radio kind of only works a little bit and then stops working. So even though we were still trying to get on the radio, like the whole time I was like, even if we do succeed in this kind of like shallow, you know, typical music business way, I know the only way I'm going to have a career at this is to do unconventional stuff and to like form substantial bonds with the audience. Um, it's so, super smart. I mean, it's well, true. Thank you. I don't, it's, it's not. It's a, but it's just it's very few smart. people <laughs> realize that and execute it. I would know? be like, this is a cool idea. I'm going to take a nap now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, in fairness, like part of it came with because I got married and and um, you know I moved out of the cushy um, you know situation that had been set up being on a major label for a while. That was a big push for me, you know. Like major labels just hand you money, and then you know, not that much money, but still enough so that like you don't really have to worry about things that much. And then we got off a major level and I was like, Oh God, can I still do this for a living? You know, like I want to, I don't want to do anything else really. Um, and, um, so yeah, I think that maybe that had something to do with it. So have you had any other jobs since the band started or not really? Um, no, no. The one thing I did was working for my dad a little bit. Um, he's in advertising. He does movie posters. So at one point I, um, I was writing copy for for movie posters, like you know, like this summer, one man just justice, you know, like, <laughs> um, and that was fun. It was actually kind of cool. I bet. Um, but uh, beyond that, no, it's just been been music, and I, the cool thing is, like, from the beginning of say anything, I've always had like a managerial position to some degree, and. Um, basically ran the band from the very beginning, just like no qualms. Anyone who's been the band would admit it. Um, and people came in, the lineup changed a lot. And finally, about a year ago, um, the, the first original member left. And I was just like, mutually, like, or it wasn't like he left. We both decided together, but it was a good idea. And, um, I was just like, okay, well, this has basically been me. Say anything has been me forever, and I do everything. So from now on, I'm going to help manage the band. The band is no longer a real band. It's just like Nine Inch Nails or something, and it's basically me and whoever shows up. And so since then, you know, it's been really nice, and it's just felt really comfortable and intuitive to, like, not have to feel guilty about being this kind of dictator in the band. Um just because it was like, it was always that way. No one ever made it weird. It was not like it caused contention, but like, I couldn't even admit it outwardly. I, we, you know, with like the band shots, it was always like, you know, group photography or just like a normal band. But in reality, I'm doing everything and playing all the instruments on the records and deciding every decision, you know, like literally. So um, lately it's been, and with this new record, since I produced it and arranged it and did everything it just like felt a lot more like this is what it actually is supposed to, to be like you know and that makes sense sort of why like if someone criticizes it like i would be like well this is like this is like 100 percent me <laughs> totally. like i can't be like oh this it's baseline whatever yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. To do with me. it is a lot to do with that it is so my baby and like you know, I don't see myself ever making, like, I'm sure I'll do lots of other projects. I already have. Um, but I, the concept of doing, like, a solo record, quote-unquote, would be, like, really self-indulgent. I mean, I'm sure I'll, like, buy myself in the ass and do, <laughs> right. do this in a few years. But, like, at this point, I can admit freely that it's, like, Say Anything is basically a solo record. So it would be, like, you know someone going on a message board being like, you know, this Elliot Smith record sucks. You know, it's like Elliot Smith is going to be the one who's like, would, would have been bummed by that. You right. Know? Um, um, same with nine inch nails or whatever. Um, so yeah. <laughs> the other thing that's crazy is like thinking about 
like Israel Boy in that era, like there's so few of those bands are sort of still around, like kind of as someone who's also sort of been in that community for like 10 years. It's really crazy how it is, how few have had that kind of longevity. And if you look at it, though, what I've like, there's only literally a couple like it's really few. And um, there's two factors that came into my mind when I started to think about that and realize that. And one of them was that we came out kind of right after the big boom of like the first wave of like popular quote unquote like punk and emo bands and like you know so like if you think about like get up kids saves a day thrice thursday all these bands they came out but i was kind of like a fanboy of those bands and we put our record out you know four maybe even five years after some of those bands first big record so we kind of had this knowledge of watching or at least i had this knowledge of watching those bands and seeing how they came up against different obstacles and like it definitely taught me a lesson you know like like being obsessed with saves today for instance they're my favorite but they still are my favorite band and like you know chris talks openly about his experience with like dreamworks and how they you know got shafted by them and all that stuff and i literally i watched that happen as a fan i was like man that sucks i if we end up in that position i got to be prepared for that to happen so i think some of the reason why we haven't broken up is because we were a little bit later on you know there it's like we occupy a kind of weird space in the timeline of all that stuff um but then like you said i think another reason like the reason saves the day is still a band or a big reason i think is because chris knows that you know chris is the main deal in that band even though they're they're great they're much more of a collaborative project than say anything but like still like it's been so many members blah 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 and but people just want to hear chris they want to hear what chris has to say and so i think you know but if you think about the get up kids and thrice and all those bands they were band bands you know like they all very contributing all the members contributed a lot so it's hard to keep a band like that together you know a real band where like you have four really strong opinions coming out you know um so i guess i'm lucky to not have that but it's also fun like that you know i've been in a band like that you know two tongues was was kind of like that it was awesome but it's hard to hard to keep going it's like but it's also one of those things, too. I feel like if you were, like, say anything's breaking up, mm-hmm. and then you, like, start playing shows again in a year, it would be, like, all of a sudden, I feel like that happens and people, like, freak out. Mm-hmm. It's, a, like, it's like a psychological thing. I feel like as soon as people think they can't see something anymore, yep. then they want to see it. Whereas, like, when you're always touring, like, oh, I'll catch them next time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and that's another thing I learned just by watching it. You know, like, I... um and yeah, this is no slight to anyone because these are all bands I'm friends with, but like they all, a lot of them broke up and then ended up doing really successful reunion stuff. And now they're kind of in this flux state of like, they are a band, but they aren't a band. And, um, I think it's cool and it definitely like, it helps with like ticket sales, like you said, but, um, it definitely like, it puts me in a weird place as a fan sometimes with those bands. Cause I'm like, are you a band? Aren't you a bit like, can I invest in you emotionally? Um, you know, so I've, I kind of made the like promise to myself that we won't do that. You know, even if we do a hiatus, it'll be for a good reason. And it's not going to be a in quote unquote indefinite hiatus. It'll just be like, I'm taking a year off cause I have kids and I just need time off from touring, but I'm coming back. Because there's just, it is me. You know, it's like, who am I breaking up with? Me? Like, it's just <laughs> totally facetious, if anything. You know, be, like, I feel like it's like dating a girl when you're like, you can't tell what's going on. And then, like, you're like, all right. And you should have, like, no expectations. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. But it's <laughs> it, hard in the moment. Yeah, but but that, that I, but it always works best. Yeah. You know, and, and that's that's where I'm kind of at about it. It's like, and, and ever since I made that decision, things have gone so much better with the band it's cool you know like the band has literally done better since i was like whatever i love music i just want to keep making music and you know if it can't be my full-time job i'll figure it out then and if you know if i want to make records under another name i'll do that but that doesn't mean that say anything has to go away you know i and i had to like also step back and think about bands like 
bad religion or, you know, even like the Red Hot Chili Peppers or something where it's like sometimes those bands don't make a record for two years and no one really cares. They're just like, you know, yeah, they'll make another record and then they do and people talk about it. And it takes away some of the romance because they're just like, oh, yeah, bad religion. Yeah, they've been around for friggin' 30 years. But at the same time, there's something really amazing. And that's why, like, no effects or something. It's like there's people who just like the, the patch, you know, like it's just like they're an <laughs> institution. You see them everywhere because it's like they just you can rely on them. Usually yeah. those bands don't break up. You I know? wonder we've had this discussion before because it's funny the big, the thing about the the profitable reunion where you get these artists that like come back and reunite and then play like venues that are like three times the size of what they could do before. But I don't think they, you can keep doing that. Like I I wonder, I'd love to see the, I love to see some math behind it. Like I think the bands, I mean, I love the bands that not only keep going, but keep going and are valid. You know, we had like sick of it Mm. all recently. I think they're a great example of a band more than the Chili Peppers, yeah, who yeah. like have consistently delivered what their fans mm-hmm. wanted without being, you know, like without just kind of being formulaic. About yeah, it, you know, yeah, like, of course. Um, yeah, there's so many punk and hardcore bands like that. Yeah, and I just wonder if it's not. It's like you say, in the end, at the in the end of the day, your hardcore fans or not hardcore fans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're gonna they're gonna remain loyal more so than than if you get flighty and break yeah, up and I, yeah and and that's why it's a valid decision when someone wants to do it you know like I think a lot of my friends that have been in bands that broke up like that realize that and they're like still that being said I can't do this anymore yeah, yeah. you no, know absolutely but but if it's with that in mind you know like but like you said it should be considered always when you're in the band and it's functioning that. There's going to be hard times, and you may not be as relevant. I mean, there's a lot of things on the new record where I talk about being less relevant, and um, in in the like in the conventional sense. Um, and I think it's totally cool to be less relevant. You know, like I think being really relevant is for younger bands. That's what the concept of being really relevant is. It's like young bands come out and express what the growing sentiment of a of of the youth or yeah. the you know and they have a voice it needs to be spoken and then you've got bands like the flaming lips and they're amazing and everyone a lot of people love them but are they the most relevant band not necessarily they're just these kind of old dudes who've been rocking for quite well, the, some time the, and, the funny thing is they kind of invented a, a niche that like so they'll always be relevant in that niche yeah there's nobody else that really can do it yeah i mean <laughs> they, they and it's like fish or something yeah, like the yeah. string cheese incident <laughs> like they're they're you don't think about them very much but they're there and they're oh i'm so sorry <laughs> and they're playing shows to thousands and thousands of kids and it's like it's it's a different type of relevant it's right. like the non-hype based relevancy and um you know, on this record, I think it's a part of the concept was like resigning myself to like, dude, don't worry. You don't have to clamber for being the next big thing because that's done. You're 30. Like, you know, like. Yeah. Coming to terms with that is, I think, really important, you know, for artists. It was for me. Did you see that Pearl Jam 20 documentary? I, that I was like totally like that to me because I didn't know. Pearl Jam is a great example. I was never a huge fan of them, but it talks about their whole career and how they just kind of kept making records and cultivated this crazy fan base and didn't really have like that same mainstream success. But like they're still huge. Yeah. Yeah. They had, you know, if you, if you, I mean, we couldn't even touch their success with like a, you know, frigging God knows how long pull. But like <laughs> if you, you know, shrink their career trajectory into like an extremely small version of that it's kind of like what happened with my band you know like we came out of the gates with like a really strong first couple of records we had like a sort of hit song ish and um and then from there it was like okay either be either pursue that line of continuously trying to have more hit songs and popularity or make records for yourself and hope that people still like it and i, I think that they definitely did that and i think we definitely did that and it's like i i personally don't think i could function i couldn't i was trying i couldn't function in the other way of just trying to hold on to the zeitgeist like it really 
pisses me off too much. <laughs> but yeah, letting go of that stuff is important, I feel mm-hmm. like. For some people. I yeah. mean, for like for like Katy Perry, like she better hold on to the zeitgeist. <laughs> right, right, right. That's true. That's what she got. Yeah. <laughs> and and I love her. You know, I, I love a lot of these pop artists, but it's like Kanye West, like he has to hold on to the zeitgeist. Like yeah. it's just maybe in 10, 15 years, he could start being one of those kind of like low key rat like Snoop Dogg who just like puts out records and he's still Snoop Dogg and no one questions it and he's like a multi-millionaire and it's all good but like right now Kanye has to like you know well it's part of his attraction I mean it is most of his attraction he's made it his thing yeah exactly so unless he does some 180 (laughs) that's gotta be his thing but with us you know we made it clear it's like you know that's not what you're listening to say anything for is like the cutting edge of like you know indie rock yeah. Definitely. I was listening to his podcast the other day. This guy Duncan mm-hmm. Trussell. Okay. If you ever listen to him, mm-hmm. he's this kind of Buddhist guy. He's really into psychedelics as a comedian, but he was talking about it's like Kanye West, all these guys are not artists. Like it's like the real artist is a guy like yelling on the street about like eternity and infinity. And it's like that was really interesting to me because it sort of comes back to what we're talking about at the beginning of the podcast. I feel like it's possible to exist like in the middle of that space. Yeah. Hopefully, because I don't want to be either, you know, like, um, yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, if I were more, um, if I were more vindictive, I have a lot of negative things to say about pop culture and about clamoring for like attention and relevancy. And I think it's whack, but, um, but at the same time I listen to Kanye West and I, and I listen to Katy Perry when I'm, no one else is looking at me and, you know, and I appreciate it. I think it's cool. And I think there needs to be bands doing that kind of stuff or artists. Um, nor do I want to be a crazy homeless guy screaming about, about, you know, eternity, but at the same time, I probably lean more towards the crazy homeless guy, you know, like, um, at least he has some perspective and that's why he probably lost his mind. That was Max Bemis. Yes, it was. That was a good one. That was a good one. Yeah, it's funny. We have run in the same circles for a decade, and I don't think we've ever have talked or been interviewed. But it felt. I thought it felt really comfortable. I thought it was great. I like. Um, I was just reading an article about like share culture about how like this concept came about. Of, you know, like I have a car, but I only drive it like you know five hours a week. So why shouldn't I make it available for somebody else to use? And I kind of thought that that's what he did. Is he's like, I'm a songwriter, but I only write music for my album like one month out of the year. So why don't I write songs for other people? Like, why should my songwriting be going to waste? Still, he was part. He's, he fit right into that share culture. Well, it's. I think you just yeah. have to have that kind of a fan base too. It's like, well, yeah, it, which is cool to use that. And like, instead of getting a part time job, it's like people like my songs. Yeah, and there's a market for it. Might as well. Oh, it's brilliant. Yeah, cool. it's pretty smart. I feel like I would be like, I'm going to do this. And then people would be like, oh, I'd be like, the button doesn't work. No one's buying one. Oh, so if you got it. If you got it, flaunt it. You got baby. it, flaunt it. Exactly. <laughs> Especially if you can get paid to flaunt. Exactly. But yeah, check out um, Say Anything's New Record Hebrews. Um, just came out. And um, check us out online. We're on Facebook, Going Off Track, Twitter, Going Off Track. We have a website. And check out Going Off Track. You should check out this podcast. Check out this podcast that you're listening to that I'm telling you about. <laughs> and you're like, I'm already listening to it. But yeah, we have, um, you know, even if you just leave us a, a nice comment, it's always nice. You know, we, we do this for free and we love doing it. But it's always nice to hear people who aren't our relatives listening to it. <laughs> it's nice that our relatives listen to it as well. Is it? Yeah. Okay. It is nice. Um, but it's also always like, I feel like lately I've had a lot of people, like if I'm at a show or somewhere, like someone will come up or I'll get an email being like, oh, I lo- like I love the podcast. And to me, like that is so cool because it's so fun to do. And it's so nice to hear people praise you. Well, not even that. Like, <laughs> just people like are listening to it because it's like I feel like when we make it, I you're know. in such a vacuum. We are in a that vacuum. I feel like I never think anyone hears it, and then it's cool when someone's like, "Oh, I heard this interview it was really cool." It's like, "Oh yeah, that was a fun conversation." Yeah, it's nice to be validated. Yeah, it's nice to be validated. Well, Everyone likes being validated. Exactly, Brad. The podcast sounds incredible. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. It's all, it's all you. It's your voice. Thank you. Your very voice much. sounds great. Yeah. So <laughs> everyone listening, say something nice to someone today. Help validate them as a human. Not that you need other people's validation to prove your worth, but it's nice to say nice things to people, especially when they deserve it. 
So thanks for listening to the podcast. Check out Hebrews. You're beautiful. And you're all beautiful. Beautiful.